What is up, everybody? Welcome to Self-Improved, and I am sorry for getting on such a tangent last episode. Talking all about free will, go check it out, but I have not touched on Hidden Brain or the book Summary Obstacles the Way. Didn't even get there. We will today. So if I can get through those two things, I'm also going to touch on a book summary, well, a summary of a summary, and then you don't even have to, I'll tell you what I found out about Sapiens. Anyways, without further ado, let's jump into this Hidden Brain podcast. This first story, there's a couple stories here. They talk about why we avoid mental strain and how our brain doesn't use logic half the, more than half the time. Listen up. So Uber early on would have people, after a few minutes, decide if they want to take on another job or not, another ride. So Uber, they made that little thing instant right when they finished dropping someone off it would pop up the next person like seconds after they dropped off the the guest or whatever and they noticed that people stayed in the car for longer making uber more money and so what does this tell you that drivers would quit after just 10 rides because they didn't want to keep working when they had to think about working but all it took was some distraction and boom, they're into the next one. They don't have to think or contemplate not working and they just keep picking people up. This says a lot about willpower actually is people need to just remove barriers instead of fighting the urge to do whatever. So let's say someone doesn't want to eat cake. Don't even put cake in the fridge. Remove that willpower. We see this again, a building in Seattle. They had put elevators way out of sight However, the stairs is what everyone could see right when they walked in. And guess what happened? People took the stairs because it was the path of least resistance. We saw the same thing during a quick study they did. People would grab fruit if the fruit was in the middle of the line at the cafeteria. But if fruit was off to the side and it had to take even just a couple steps to get it, they wouldn't. You hear of other tactics, right? People wearing their exercise clothes to bed. So they remove that barrier of getting changed when they wake up. Do you see the pattern here? That everyone just wants the path of least resistance, even if it's a harder path. Because think about it, the stairs is technically more exerting than the elevator, but people will choose it even though it's harder because mentally it's easier. <laughs> so I'm sure, I'm sure you can think of other things that follow suit. They discuss in this podcast how the elliptical, sorry, I should explain further. <laughs> she watches TV on the elliptical to get her to exercise. It's like rewarding herself for exercise. She only watches the competitive cooking shows when she exercises. That's it. No, no other time does she do it. This reminds me of a book I read called No Sweat. Now, I really, really recommend it for newbies or people that haven't exercise much or have an unhealthy relationship with exercise because the book talks about self-negotiation and that's exactly what she was doing she was negotiating with herself saying you exercise and because you're exercising we'll watch the competitive cooking shows if you're wondering for the definition self-negotiation is really when you pair a negative thing with a positive me personally i do this when i clean so i watch youtube videos and podcasts when i clean and that, and I don't get to do that very often. So for me, I look forward to cleaning because it's like that downtime. I'm like, yes, I get to go through all my, my playlists. How can you apply self-negotiation to barriers in your life? That's my question for you. So this concept's elaborated on here. They talk about people that 
even though they know about the cancer and emphysema, that doesn't stop them from smoking. Guess what does stop them from smoking? Walking 100 meters. That's what stopped people from smoking more than all the facts on how it's going to kill them. And I find that really sad, actually, and how, like, how irrational and illogical is our brain that even though we know the harm something will do, we still, if it's just more of a schlep, that is what will stop us, not the hard facts. <laughs> and this leads into cognitive dissonance, actually. And a reminder that that is when a person, even though realizing the hard facts, those hard facts are so uncomfortable that they fall back onto illogical, irrational, false beliefs. And think about this. You could extrapolate this very far. If you have a business, just create a path of least resistance and boom, you can affect your business model. If you have relationships in your life you want to affect or manipulate, which I don't recommend you necessarily do that, but if you wanted to, you could just figure out ways to create a path of least resistance and boom, you've just manipulated and affected everything in your life. And I'll ponder the question here is, is there anything you notice in your life you do because it is the path of least resistance? And should you change that? You tell me. Okay, let's get to Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. This was an extremely schmaltzy self-help book. Like, if I had read this in high school, it would have blown my mind. It would have made me do things better. But now that I'm 24 and I read this later and I read this after reading some really mind-blowing psychological inspirational stuff, it did not hit me at all. I actually didn't like it. I felt like it was a waste of time. Like everything I was reading, one, I already knew. And two, it, it was cliche, like extremely cliche. Now the cliches are true, right? So everything in this book is pretty much true. Okay, I don't want to discount that. But for me, I just didn't enjoy it because I've already, I know this stuff. So listen up, we'll get into it. It starts off by saying, on earth here, everyone faces obstacles. Everything faces obstacles. We blame bosses, the economy, our politicians, other people, and we write ourselves off of fail as failures. You know, we, we write ourselves off, off as failures of our own goals and, and possibilities. See what I mean? You can already tell kind of where this book is going. It's like stuff like this. There was a really cool quote here I liked, actually. It's, bad companies are destroyed by crisis, while good companies survive them. Great companies are improved by them. This is a former Intel CEO. And it's funny because this book was written way before COVID, like way before. And yet that is spot on to how COVID treated businesses. I've got a long quote here for y'all. They say in the book, an employee in your company makes a careless mistake that costs you business. This can be exactly what you spend so much time and effort trying to avoid. However, with a shift in perspective, it can be exactly what you're looking for. The chance to pierce through the fences and teach a lesson that can be learned only by experience. A mistake actually then becomes training and it makes your company better. So take that as you will. And obviously there's context with everything. If an employee makes a, a mistake that puts you out of business, you can't, that's not training anymore. You're out of business, but something really minor, yeah, it can be actually really beneficial. So I agree with that. But it's things like that that I read and I was like, I, we all know this, like mistakes aren't a bad thing. Mistakes are good, especially when it said, you learn only by experience. Like experience in life is the greatest teacher. We know this. And so when I heard that though, I was like, again, the schmaltzy self-help stuff. Like we know mistakes are good. We know this. <laughs> it's not new. Now, if I was in high school, I would have read that and been mind blown because I was taught to not disappoint and not make mistakes when I was a teenager. And so if I read that in high school, I would have 100% started feeling more confident and comfortable making mistakes. <laughs> 
this is kind of interesting. So Marcus Aurelius uses an exercise of looking at things through the objective eye. What does he mean by this? Well, wine is just old fermented grapes. Roasted steak is just a cut up dead animal. And he says, practice seeing stress in this light, right? Don't predict outcomes before they've happened. This is really interesting because you're right, like wine is such a cool, elaborate, intricate thing. When in reality, you can just say it's only old fermented grapes. And so I like how he talks about stress with this analogy. Is we often create these stories, like our stress is this metaphorical, intricate wine that is complex. And how, when in reality, you can go, oh, this stress, long day. I have a fear of long days. It's causing me to be stressed and anxious and angry. Boom. Like, like you just objectively look at your stress. And then actually, this reminds me of a study that I learned at Fanshawe. I've talked about my colleague about this is stress is subjective and the way you frame stress can actually make, make you better. So for example, if you look at stress as a challenge instead of something hindering you, and they did studies on this, people that framed the stress that way had lower cortisol levels. By the way, cortisol is your stress hormone. High cortisol doesn't build as much muscle. It increases blood pressure, makes the heart work harder than it should, causes disease. Like it, the ripple effect from high cortisol sucks. So what I'm saying is if you can lower that cortisol because you shift your perspective with stress, that's everything. And so if we really go far, let's come back to the main point, which is look at things through the objective eye. Wine is just old grapes. Take that as you will, um, because I can't stress that enough. Like stress, people don't, it's it's something you can't see like you or feel I guess like you do in the weight room you see yourself lifting weights and you see and you feel yourself burning but stress like that will cause disease that's no joke think of those people in Japan that it's called Kuroshi or, or something they literally die from stress die early from working too much it's a big issue okay I'm forgetting about some of the decent metaphors in this book because here I was thinking the whole thing sucked but there's actually some good parts here people would call us crazy if we look Sorry, not look. If we if people would call us crazy if we took traffic signs and lights personally, right? If you stopped up at a red light and you're like, "Oh, this red light hates me. Why would it choose to uh, just go red just for me?" Oh, sorry, people. My phone's vibrating here. I don't know if you got that. Uh, I just turned it off. <clears throat> so it, it, it's exactly what life is doing to us. Everything's happening out of our control, like the traffic lights. There are some things that we can be proactive about, right? Like you can show up to things early. So just like that person driving and they, they leave 20 minutes early in case they get red lights, the same thing in life, just prepare. And then when things don't go your way, you're, you're okay because you can still follow the process. All right. Remember that in reality, people are just like the signs and the lights. We have to accept and react to them. You can run with this metaphor even deeper though. So this doesn't mean we have zero control people. Just like traffic lights, we can control a hell of a lot outside of those lights. Like there's a lot of driving we do outside of those lights that we can go fast, we can go slow, we can be safe, we can check our, our blind spots. So for example, like denying a doctor's diagnosis, it just delays the cure. All right, that's like one example. And to wrap up this book summary, because again, I didn't take too much out of it because a lot of it I've already heard and we already knew. This was cool though. When your fire is strong, it uses everything thrown at it as fuel. And so that alone, very poetic, extrapolate it and, and elaborate on it as much as you would like. I'm already, my brain's already thinking of a million personal examples of that. 
where something that seems bad can be turned good, like the Nova effect, that applies directly to this quote of when your fire is strong, it will use everything thrown at it as fuel. All right. It just comes down to perspective and how you decide to look at things. All right. It reminds me of like inner outer world paradox stuff. Like your inner world projects the outer world you perceive. All right. And, and it comes right back. And it's a paradox because then your outer world will tell your inner world what to think. And it's a chicken or the egg thing, which came first, but still just remember like your inner world, your self dialogue, how you perceive what's being thrown at you. If your fire is strong, if you know you are destined for whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter what's thrown at you. You are going to use it to propel you to that goal. There is always a way to get there. All right. Just another last, because what are we at here? Okay. We got a bit, there's gonna be a shorter podcast, but it's okay. Last book summary here. Now I didn't read this book. I just watched the summary. It's called Sapiens by, I forget what's his name. He's, he is an Israeli dude. And yeah, my friend read it, loved it. So I thought I'd just look up the summary, see what the book was about. Let's get into it. So the first point I, I thought was neat is that humans survived because of human things. And so capitalism, it's different than wealth, right? Wealth would be to just throw money in a trunk. Uh, whereas capitalism is not that, uh, capitalism leverages debt and we use other people's money and other people's, uh, yeah, we use other people's money and our own debt to make more money. Whereas, and so that's opposite. It's like wealth that is just like storing money away, which, uh, capitalism, we're in a society where like nowadays it's all about leveraging debt. Like everything's financed, right? Uh, Debt is the name of the game. He discusses something in his book that I've actually heard a TED Talk discuss in regards to tech. And it goes like this. This is actually mind-blowing, so buckle up. Check out the exponential progression in human history and evolution. 100,000 years was the time we did hunting and gathering. 100,000 years. That's a long time to just hunt and gather. For 10,000 years, we were doing agriculture growing wheat and harvesting crop. Then we move on to the industrial revolution, like 200 years, maybe a hundred ish. That's when factories and and machinery were starting to be uh, created more of like a corporate life was being established. And then you had the internet boom for 20 years in the eighties. That's really the first computer was made. And like they started creating some of this stuff, wire, wire, or not wireless, but like things with wires and, just like tech like that, the internet tech kind of TV tech kind of thing. 20 years. And now we are on the cusp, at least that's what they think. We're on the cusp of a new, new, uh, I guess, evolution, like a tech evolution. Something's coming the same way that we, we saw, like I just explained the same way those all changed. Something is coming. We're on the cusp of it right now. But notice the trend there went from 100,000 years of progression to just a couple decades and notice how it got shorter and shorter exponentially. Literally, it wasn't like it just cut in half. It literally just got shorter and shorter exponentially. And so this proposes a philosophical theory of will that plateau? It must plateau unless unless you're telling me that one day, every single day, there will be a new discovery. And, and then that, I guess, would be the plateau. However, let's even go farther. Let's say that it wasn't the plateau and it truly was exponential. The only way for that to get exponential is things to update every millisecond or, dare I say it, quantumly, non-binary. 
Like our neurons would fire and not fire, but at the same time. So time wouldn't even be a concept. We're talking about a potential neo-human that has evolved so much. And that exponential law has actually come true in the sense that things are being created faster than time even exists because time doesn't exist for the future human. Um, and I've talked about this with people, how not to go off on a tangent, but just to wrap this up, this concept up, Neuralink, look it up, Google it. It's where they put a chip in someone's head and you can process things like a computer. Your neurons would adapt to that because your neurons adapt to everything. And then let's assume one day they have quantum chips and they replace the old computer chip with a quantum. Your neurons would literally adapt to that as well. And your neurons would adapt to quantum computing in your head. And that is how potentially we're talking about nonlinear time being a possibility in the future. Hence, this exponential growth and evolution that I just explained could carry out. It could actually carry out. So anyways, I'll, I'll get back to it. But that, that is what this book touches on briefly. Uh, the author of Sapiens, he, he keeps it kind of real. He says money doesn't bring happiness, but it can get rid of a lot of big problems. And this is like, I don't know if y'all remember way back, uh, maybe three or two episodes ago, I talked about how Mr. Money Mustache says to buy things, thinking about what negative things it'll take away. Like when you buy a wheelbarrow, what negative things will this take away versus buying a video game, which is just adding hedonistic attributes to your life. And what do we know? That hedonic adaptation always happens for the human being. So... That's what I'm saying is, uh, yeah, that's what it reminds me of. But he's saying that money can get rid of some problems, which is true. It's true. Some people in the financial independence community call it FU money, where you don't have to say yes or no to anybody. It's really up to you. He makes a claim here that people are obsessed by happiness, uh, which is probably true. That's what the media portrays in commercials, that we have to be happy, which is odd because yin-yang theory happiness only exists because of sadness and so to truly be happy you have to accept the sadness that comes and, and and don't avoid it you have to literally lean into it so you can be happy isn't that interesting so you can be happy you have to lean into sadness anyways he says he proposes not says he really proposes that times are harder now than even fifteen thousand years ago even given the tech and efficiency in our society, he, he thinks things are harder now. I, the summary didn't elaborate further. If I read the book, I'd probably elaborate further. But anyways, there's a thing here called dualism, that opposite forces are always around us. And he is a big proponent on dualism. Um, look that up if you're more interested. Also, he says here, life is so complex. He is very cliche, but he says to sit back and enjoy the ride. John Lennon and a million other people have been quoted saying the same thing. He says, though, don't stop working hard, you know, still enjoy the ride, but don't stop working hard. Like some people think to enjoy things, you don't have to work hard. It's like, no, no, no. That, that actually makes zero sense. Like we enjoy what we are proud of. Uh, we enjoy, we enjoy things because of the sacrifice. <laughs> eh? Um, anyways. Final point made in this book is all rules of humanity are an invention. Uh, he calls it all imagined order. You're wondering, what is imagined order? Well, Harari, the author, he, he, he thinks that 
in the past when people couldn't really connect with each other, maybe even through pen pal, but that's even then you couldn't really say a lot via pen pals. People couldn't trust each other as much, right? They didn't believe in the same stories or follow the same rules. Whereas he's saying that in this day and age, we all understand the same pop culture references. We all understand the slang, the lingo. Accents are starting to fade because of social media. And we are following the same rules. And we all know of the same stories because of the news is global now. He's saying that never in history have we seen strangers so cooperative and on a colossal scale, to quote him. Again, I've never thought of it like that. It is really interesting, actually. Um, you wonder if he'll get even more and more connected, right? Like, look how many people are working from around the world. Like, you don't have to live in one place to work there. You you could be from India and work in Canada, right? Like, And to go back and dissect what he said earlier, that all rules are an invention. Well, of course, everything's a human construct. We have constructed everything, not just like intangible and tangible right? Literally the definitions we create, so that is a human construct. Like those definitions we made up, we, we just made everything up. And th in the fifth agreement, they have a really hot take saying that when we give things identity, it's a mask for meaning. And that identity doesn't even exist because we're just trying to seek meaning in everything because we won't admit that we don't know every, anything. Sorry, not everything. We won't admit that we don't know anything according to the fifth agreement. He's just saying like technically everything's philosophical. Like you can't prove anything because we just added meaning to them. It was our own and we invented it. We invented the meaning. So like what was before our invention? Hey, eh? like that's what I'm saying. Everything is just a search for meaning. We don't even know what existed before we created these terms for things. I don't know. This is, this is me thinking out loud. Like I told you the very first episode, this is an auditory journal. I am literally just speaking my mind. That's what you're going to get. All right, people. Well, next time, because I'm going to wrap this up, I'll be talking about some TikTok chokhmah, some stuff I talked about with a friend. And uh, pretty much that is it. Thanks so much for tuning in. This was awesome. I had a good time. And it's Friday. Shabbat shalom, everybody. That's, by the way, at the end of the week, Jewish people eat at dinner, and they're all grateful for the end of the weeks here. And that's what's happening. I wish you the best. Shalom Aleichem. Go crush your goals. And by all means, go change someone's life. Go Google lollipop moment. Okay, watch that TED Talk and tell me what you think. Take care. See you later.